We are joining the global church, Nazarene Church, and the churches in the world that lift up the name of Jesus to participate in the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Did you know that approximately 200 million believers live under daily threat? 200 million, that's two thirds, is that about two thirds of our nation, numerically? And so, uh, so, so Ivy's gonna tell you a lot more, but I just wanna give her a little bit of an intro. Um, um, so today we're going to press into what does it mean to join and to pray for and with the church globally that is paying a price for the gospel? What can we learn from them? Why does it even matter? We live in Santa Maria. We hope to answer and to dive into some of those questions today. So without further ado, I'd love for you to welcome one of my good friends, Ivy Chua, as she shares with us this morning. Hi, everyone. Okay, we're going to start off a little differently. Um, I'm going to take you on a journey, okay? So I'm going to have you close your eyes. Okay, just close your eyes. And join me on this journey. Imagine you are awakened in the dark of night by pounding on the door. Wiping the sleep from your eyes, you grab your bag and jacket and are led by new Chinese friends you just met yesterday to a waiting minivan on the only dirt road through town. You are instructed by your friends to keep your head down and not to speak a word. You look at your watch, 4 a.m. The night air is brisk and a million stars dot the sky. Your heart is beating fast and wildly. You crowd into the rusted minivan and the driver heads into the dense forest on a rugged mountain road. After what seems like an eternity of being jolted and tossed in the van through winding roads along steep cliff sides and several close calls of nearly skidding off the edge of the mountains, the minivan finally stops near what appears to be a barn-like structure in the middle of a small village surrounded by farmland. You thank God under your breath for travel mercies. Stepping out of the van, your senses are bombarded by the smell of old hay, cow manure, and dew-drenched musty air. You hear a rooster crow nearby. The air is icy and you pull your jacket closer. You are immediately beckoned to enter the barn along with your travel companions. Your spirit is stirred with both a sense of anticipation yet of fear of the unknown. A dim glow of light can be seen through the thatched roof and tattered wooden boards that make up the walls of the barn. You hear the faint sound of singing and weeping. You follow your companions and squeeze yourself through the narrow opening of the ragged barn door and are overwhelmed by the scene you encounter. Over 80 men, women, and children of all ages are packed into the barn like sardines. There's no room to sit, only to stand. An older woman is crying out in Mandarin Chinese with her arms raised to the sky. Father, you are worthy of our praise. Who are we to come into your glorious presence? We are but dust and dirt. But you, O sovereign Lord, gave your son Jesus to die for us so we can be brought into your kingdom. We are your beloved children, O great and holy God. We cannot contain our thanksgiving. We praise you. We praise you. Hallelujah. A humble-looking man with dusty gray hair at the front of the room raises a Bible in his hand and begins to sing, and the whole room erupts in praise. Sendai, 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 Tren, Tren, Di, Shen, Ming, Qing, Qin, Wo, Zong, Ge, Shen, Crying and weeping is heard along with shouts of rejoicing and joyful laughing. A young man cries out, Oh, dear Jesus, you are all that we need. We will give our lives for you. Even if the world takes all that we have, we will live to share your love to everyone in our villages so they can be saved until our very last breath. After two hours of worship and prayer, the humble man with the Bible begins to preach about suffering for the gospel and how to follow Christ in the midst of tribulation. Multiple amens and hallelujahs can be heard throughout the three-hour sermon. Not one person leaves the room during the entire message. Everyone is listening intently on the edge of their seats. The presence of God is so thick you could slice it like a knife. 
And after the message, the group breaks for a meal and fellowship, and the humble man with the Bible runs to you to welcome you with tears in his eyes. We are overjoyed that you came from so far to be with us. The Lord has been so good. After I was released from prison several months ago, our house church has grown by over 80 members and continues to grow. We gather here every month to worship, pray, and learn God's word. And every week, families gather in their homes and continue to share the good news to neighbors and nearby villages. We must be very careful when and where we meet because of the Red Guard. They are everywhere, and many brothers and sisters have been beaten and thrown into jail for following Jesus. But it is the Lord's way to train us. It is a gift from him. In the house churches, you are not considered fit to be a pastor until you have been to jail at least once for Jesus. Please open your eyes. Did you feel like you were there? That actually is a personal experience that I had with the underground house church movement in 1998. And it's an honor to share with you today. Um, it's an honor to be invited um, to share on the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. This is a subject that is near and dear to my heart. And um, in uh, 1998, when I first went to China with my father on a, on a mission trip, um, we were led, just like how I took you on that journey, to a, a house church meeting up in the mountains. And um, it floored me. It changed my life forever. Um, and in fact, the Holy Spirit so impacted me and shifted my paradigm and rocked me that after I came home, I committed my life um, to, uh, to the mission field and um, served as a missionary to an unreached people group in China over 10 years ago. So what impacted me the most um, through just being in the company of these Chinese brothers and sisters um, is that they faced the threat of injustice, destruction of their property, beating and murder of their family members, torture and imprisonment on a daily basis. And yet the flames of their faith and trust in God roar even hotter and brighter in the midst of that. And the hardships don't deter them. You know, they actually, it actually encourages them to pray and share the gospel more fervently. And so there's an estimated 70 to 90 million believers in China now. I mean, that's, that's so many believers. And many scholars and missiologists are saying by 2030, China will have the most Christians in the world at 225 million. Because that is how fast, that is how fast the church is growing, the underground church. I mean, they're seeing hundreds and thousands of new believers every day, every single day. And um, these brothers and sisters don't have many material possessions. The poverty is beyond belief. They live on less than $1.25 a day. I mean, think about that. Um, they rely on God for everything, literally everything. They pray about everything. They are radically wholehearted in love with God. When they get saved, they are just all in. There's no turning back. There's no turning back. They see miracles and signs and wonders on a daily basis. It's considered normal. It's considered normal to see the raised from the dead, people raised from the dead. It's considered normal to see arms grow out and crippled healed, people healed. Um, I, just to share a story, I met a woman when I was at that trip, uh, a young woman who lost her left eye when she was a child, a little girl. And after the house church, after, in a worship meeting, they were praying for her, her eyeball grew back. It grew back. So when I met her, she said, look at my eye. It grew back. God can do anything. Like, yes, he can. Yes, he can. Oh, my gosh. Um, and so another story, um, just to encourage you, is um, I visited the Liaoning province, and that is along the border of North Korea. Um, if you put up the map of China, it should be the last slide there. Um, I met a house church apostle. If you see North Korea, so I was at the border there, and um, I met a house church apostle, a middle-aged woman who shared her testimony. Over 25 years ago, she had a dream where a man in white appeared to her, okay? He had a face like the sun, and he told her, I want you to write everything down that I tell you. So she started writing frantically down, and he began to, she saw this, the same dream every single night for a month. So for weeks, she had this dream, and the, the man kept on telling her, write everything down, write everything down. So she wrote, she wrote, she wrote. And um, mind you, she had no idea who Jesus was. She had no contact with Christianity, because, you know, Mao Zedong and the Cultural Revolution had wiped out Christianity. There was nothing, there's no church history in that region, okay? So she, had, she didn't know who this man in white was. But the very last night, he, um, he told her, it's done. You know, I want you to share what, I, what you've written to the people around you and to the villages. And he said, I am Jesus. Do you want to believe in me? 
This is in her dream, okay? Not an evangelist didn't come to her. Her friends didn't come. It was in a dream. And Jesus said, do you want, I'm Jesus Christ. Do you want to believe in me? And she said, yes, I give my life to you. And she began to share. And literally within the matter of months, this huge movement of revival started breaking out in house churches. And, and she was the apostle. She was the, the main teacher. She would get on her bike and then ride around. And then they began to copy the manuscript and share it among the house churches. So she shares... This is so amazing. She shares um, 10 years after that, so hundreds of thousands of house churches later, she meets a Western missionary who gives her her first Bible, her first Mandarin translated you know, not Ch Chinese Bible. So she's looking through it, and she flips to the Gospel of John. And she is overwhelmed when she sees it because it's word for word the exact manuscript that Jesus told her to write. It was the Gospel of John. And um, so I share these, testimon these testimonies with you to encourage you that God is on the move all over the world. In places like China, India, North Africa, um, Africa, the Middle East, everywhere, persecution is real. It's, it's very real. We are very comfortable here in America. Yes? yes? We are very comfortable. I mean, after, I wish we could have just kept on worshiping. I mean, because I, the presence of God was so amazing this morning. And just the freedom we have to stand here and lift our hands and sing aloud. I mean, that is not something that a lot of these believers can enjoy. Right. I, they have to do it in secret. I mean, and to let that sink in, like, they cannot say his name without being threatened, beaten, thrown in jail, without their children and, and spouses being murdered. I mean, it is, it is a crazy reality that we need to connect with. Right? Um, and it's so important for us to, to feel what the rest of the body of Christ is feeling over the world. You know, 1 Corinthians 12, 26. You know, if you take a look at it, it talks about the body of Christ. And if one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. If one part hurts, we all hurt. Right? And then it, you know, so there's two reasons why it's so important for us to pray. Uh, with our persecuted brothers and sisters. The first one is, yes, we all suffer. We're a body. We're a family. The second one is our purpose is the same. Our purpose is to exalt Jesus wherever we are, correct? Our purpose is to glorify his name. And um, whether it's easy or difficult to proclaim his name, the purpose is the same, is to lift him up. Right? Whether we're in Santa Maria or China, we share that one purpose. So, you know, in solidarity, this morning I want to encourage all of you, let, let's pray, okay? Let's pray right now. God is all over this. God is all over this. And what I'd like to do is have you gather in two or three. I know sometimes you're uncomfortable, but please, let's just gather in two or three. And um, let's pray with our persecuted family around the world. And don't pray that God would remove the persecution. Pray that he would make them bold. Pray that he would make them fearless. Pray that he would give them his joy. Pray for signs and wonders. Pray for him to be real. Pray that they will see God's grace is sufficient, his power perfect in their weakness. Pray that they will rejoice in sharing the sufferings of Christ. Jesus suffered. He really suffered for us. And these brothers and sisters are suffering. And then pray that they would love Christ more than life itself. And that they would love their enemies. And that they would pray for their persecutors. And then pray that they would learn to trust God more completely and more wholeheartedly. So let's, let's get in a time right now where you gather together and let's pray and then I'll close.
Father God, we are so humbled and broken. God, we are so humbled and broken, God. Our brothers and sisters all over the world who face daily, daily threats and loss of material possessions, beatings and torture, God, for your name, for your great name, for you're worthy, O oh God. And Father, we just bow right now. We bow in silence and solidarity with our brothers and sisters all over the world who face persecution, Lord. We bow in solidarity. We take a moment of silence to remember them. Father, would you convict our hearts by the faith that we see in the world by these brothers and sisters, their faith that withstands any threat. God, it's amazing, Lord, and we ask that you would give us that kind of faith. That nothing in this world would compare to your glory and knowing you and sharing you with others, God. So we pray for your church right now, God. We ask that you would, you would make your, you would raise up your sons and daughters who are facing persecution. You would give them boldness, Lord. You would, you would give them a deep fire that burns in their spirit that will never be put out, God. That that will never be put out, Lord. That you would strengthen their faith. That you would meet them in dreams and visions. And and God, you would encourage them, God. And Lord, in the midst of of, of the of the persecution, that the church would grow, God. That your church would explode all over the world, God. Your glory would be made known to all the nations and to the unreached, Lord God. And Father, we ask that you would give them an insatiable desire, an unquenchable desire to know you more and to love you, to love you more than life itself, God. So Lord, we ask for your comfort. We ask for your peace. over your church. We ask for your presence. Your presence, Lord. Holy Spirit, we say move and have your way. We pray for the persecutors, the terrorists, to turn to Christ. We pray for their hearts that their hearts would turn to Christ, that, God, you would meet them in dreams and visions, and that they would give their lives to you, Lord, and they would turn away from the death and, and the murder and, and the evil, God, Lord, that's, that's going on there in the Middle East, Lord. We ask all the persecutors, Lord, that they would come to know you, that in your great mercy, Lord, your great mercy would lead them to repentance. Your kindness would lead them to repentance. God, from the example set by these brothers and sisters in Christ, through their example of loving Christ, that it would change the persecutors' hearts, Lord. God, we just ask that your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We exalt you, Jesus. May you receive all the glory. And God, may we not love our lives as to shrink from death. Just as these brothers and sisters who are persecuted have shown us, they did not love their lives as to shrink from death. Lord, we ask Jesus. We give you all the glory, Father. We exalt your name. We love you, Lord. Teach us, change us, mold us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.
going to have a simple, thank you so much, Ivy. Can we just say thank you to her again? That was beautiful. As I've been studying this week, and uh, by the way, there's some phenomenal resources. If you have a pen or your smartphone, um, you can write this down, idop.org. It stands for International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted, idop.org. Um, watchword, help me out, Ivy. Watchword. Uh, Worldwatchlist.org. Uh, world watch Open, Open Doors USA.org. OpenDoorsUSA.org is another great website that you can stay connected to what's going on globally so that you can partner in prayer and uh, you can even be sent to be a missionary. I'm going to pray for that before we leave. I believe God is still in the business of sending. Uh, Voice of the Martyrs is also a great website I was on yesterday that has some cool resources and just to keep us plugged in to what's happening globally in the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, go for it. Um, this is a great book. You can get it on Amazon. It's called The Heavenly Man. It's a, it's a an autobiography biography about uh, the Chinese house church movement through this one man. Awesome. Yes, you can. Yes, um, let me get that website to you because you can actually go directly to his. Uh, it's called Back to Jerusalem. It's a movement that is mobilizing Chinese Christian missionaries to take the gospel back to Jerusalem through the Middle East. Yeah, I will, cool. we'll get that for you. Sweet. Thank you. It's beautiful. So just want to make you just aware, because it's not just a, uh, um, it's not just a one day of the year thing. Just like Christmas is not the only year we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. Amen? Amen. And Easter is not the only day we celebrate resurrection. This certainly is not the only day we pray for our brothers and sisters globally. <clears throat> and uh, the, the one thing that as I've been thinking and studying about this, there's many things that have been written and said about the theology of suffering, <clears throat> the reality that there, unless you find one scripture, there's really no other way to get a faith that's worth more than gold but to go through the furnace of adversity. I just couldn't find it. I looked. I was trying to find an easy path to having a faith that's pure and radiant apart from having to go through adversity and difficulty Scott, it's not there, is it? I mean, you're a, G, you're a scholar, smart guy. <clears throat> and so in, in many ways, um, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to talk about a theology of suffering and, you know, because there is one, the whole thing. If you notice, um, uh, for whom I am in prison, this is like one of Paul's favorite one-liners. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I, I write, fellowship and sharing in, in the suffering, it's mean, just in every letter almost of the entire New Testament book is a book, um, but I want to talk about that. I want to talk about one thing, and then I want us to come and share the meal that, that really epitomizes the links to which Jesus went in his suffering and in his death to bring us back to him and to put his world to rights. Um, so we're going to do that. That's really what we're going to crescendo today. But uh, there's a passage when I think about the persecuted brothers and sisters, and I read a great article yesterday that, that really, um, the author was pretty stern on do not romanticize suffering. Don't make it this pretty thing that, man, oh, I wish I could be like them. He's saying there's nothing romantic about watching your wife. <laughs> he said don't, romantic, don't romanticize suffering. Many are forsaking the faith, this author goes on to say, because the intensity of suffering. It's not this romantic Hollywood movie thing. This, this, I can get you the article. I put it on our website or I'll send an email out. He's a bright guy, just, and he's given his life to studying this, the church globally. Because it is, it's, it's tragic, it's terrible. But in the midst of all of it, as I think about what I want to share, just in a, in a five-minute devotional summary thought, is that that even though the, the fate that you and I may face, maybe it won't end in suffering or death or, or martyrdom, um, but this idea comes from a book I read years ago called Water from a Deep Well. 
And he says, even though the fate of the martyrs may not be ours, their faith must become ours. Fate and faith. Even though the fate and the reality of, of paying the price with our life or our resources or um, having to leave our town or city. And I know this is a bit heavy, but it's okay. Amen. It's okay to talk truth in the church. Amen. Amen. It's not all roses and happy daisies. That even though their, the fate may not be ours, their faith must become ours. And so the Lord directed my heart over and over this week as I was thinking about IDOP, IDOP today. Um, one of the things that marks those, as you've studied, and I'm no expert, is the, un, for those who don't shake and don't waver, is the undiluted pure devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ that causes me to just weep. That when Jesus is all you have, you get to experience something that none of us can hardly experience because he's not all that we have. We have a lot of things. I'm not saying sell everything. Maybe if the Lord tells you, I'm not not immature. I understand, okay? Okay. But as I've studied and I've reflected and the one devotional thought I wanted to encourage us with is do not let the fire in your heart grow dim. And as I think about, sorry. As I think about the nature of fire, it by nature will go out if it's not continually stoked. Did you know that? Fire by nature will go out if you don't continue to bring an offering, if you don't continue to breathe on the embers that fire unstewarded, fired unkept, fire untended will go out. And the prophetic picture that I get, the one scripture I want you to go away with is Leviticus 6.13. It's one verse, and it was written in a book in a day when God's people didn't have direct access to God, they had to go through priests and they had to go through rituals and circumstances because if they didn't follow God's rules, God's ways, they would be fried chicken because of the holiness of God. And God's holiness is nothing to be trifled with. Sin in the presence of holiness, apart from mercy, is singe. <laughs> That's a, I just came up with that. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And so God gave the people of Israel very specific rules when you approach me and the days in which you can approach me because there was still a big old giant veil the size of a phone book that took how many men? Come on, someone help me. 300 men? Uh, you can study your Old Testament. I don't know it as well as my new. I'm pretty, pretty think that's accurate. 300 people to move this huge veil between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of people. And there was this separation But God, everything the scriptures tell us, if specifically if you go home this week and you can read it in one sitting, it'll probably take you uh, 45 minutes to an hour. The book of Hebrews is the New Testament book that really unpacks the significance of the Old Testament rituals and sacrifices and that all of those things were not the reality themselves, but they pointed to the greater reality in which you and I enjoy because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So everything you read in in the scripture I'm going to tell you to memorize with me this week, it is a type and a shadow. It is not, there is not a literal altar any longer that God is looking for a fire. The altar is now our hearts. That there is a place that God, the one whose eyes are like fire, Revelation 1.15, and the eye is the lamp of the body, Matthew 6, 20 through 23, and so the eyes are like a window to the soul, so that when John the beloved falls down as though dead and he sees the resurrected, glorified Christ, and he sees fire in his eyes, it is a picture of the reality that Jesus is the burning man of God. He's the one who burns with passion and fire and with zeal and with glory and with holiness and with justice and with righteousness and every other theologically weighty word I can think of. And his eyes are like fire, and Jesus is not just one we are to admire, we, it, he is one we are to aspire to be like. And so Leviticus 6.13, it says, do not, I'm just gonna read it, because I memorized it, you can see I'm really prepared. Leviticus 6, help me out somebody. I'm finding it. I've got to find it, okay? Because i got to read it too. 
I haven't, didn't have my bookmark on it. Come on, people. When I think about the persecuted church and the impartation that they have for us today, if we'll say yes to it, the fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. The fire, the place of sacrifice, the place of communion, the place of God's abiding presence where it's met with the the obedience of God's people to continue to keep this fire going of worship, this fire going of surrender, this fire going that is the result of the continuous offering that the Lord Jesus is worthy of. Did you know that Christianity is not a one and done faith? Prayer, prayer, get your get out of hell free card, put it in your back right pocket, and then you just get to cruise the rest of your life. God, Christianity is is predominantly an abiding communion relationship between God and man through which he dwells in us by the power of his Holy Spirit. And just as Timothy, listen, why is fire so important? Well, number one, fire reveals, it reveals the nature of God. Deuteronomy 4, 24 says God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. So fire, the reason why it's so important, and it's not just a youth group, a youth camp, kind of get the little kids rallied up. It is a reality that God wants to be true of every man, woman, boy, and girl. Because fire reveals the character of God, the burning, the holiness, the passion, and the zeal. Fire also purifies the people of God. Malachi 3 prophesied that there would be one who would come who would be like a refiner's fire. And when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, that's the one who's going to do it. He's the one who's going to baptize the world and fire his people that would be pure and radiant and spotless. And when Acts chapter 15, verse 8 and 9, when Peter looks back to Pentecost, this is, de- this is a decade plus later, he looks back at Pentecost as the moment when the Holy Spirit broke in in fire and purified their hearts by faith. So fire reveals the character of nature and person of God. And fire purifies the people of God. And beloved, I'm here to tell you, we need purifying. We need purifying. I love Leonard Ravenhill, the lighthearted, seeker-sensitive revivalist from England who was really just, he was just really concerned about if you know who I'm talking about, you think that's a funny joke for all the other people. Sorry, I'll, get, I'll uh, forget it. Ravenhill said, what the water baptism can miss, the fire baptism won't miss. Namely, the sinfulness that's deeply rooted in the hearts of men. The baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire, there's no shot. The fire of God is more powerful than the sinfulness of humanity. Do you believe that? That's just in the Bible. So fire reveals the character and person of God. Fire purifies the people of God. Are you tracking with me? Number three, fire sustains the pursuit of God. We need energy. Beloved, did you understand Paul's language and he's, when he's praying about the power of God in Ephesians 3, when he's saying, I pray that you'll have power. Say it with me, power. power. That you will have power to know So I need divine enablement to know and then pursue the knowledge of God, which is to share in eternal life, John 17, 3. And it's the fire of God as we continually offer ourselves to him as a Romans 12 sacrifice. It's the fire of God that doesn't just reveal his character once, that doesn't just purify my nature once. It's the fire that propels us to pursue God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this is why Leviticus 6 says, don't let it grow dim because if you lose your fire, you lose the power to pursue the one who's calling you to come and to forsake all others and follow me. So fire enables the pursuit. What else does fire do? Well, it it shows the quality of the thing which you are building with your life. And how many know we're all building something? Come on, raise your hand or nod your head at me. We're all building something. We're building something to our glory or his glory. In 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 16 tells us that there is coming a day when the fire of God will reveal every person's work, the fire of God will one day reveal the way in which we went about our lives and the thing at which we gave our life to build. And he's saying, do not be those who build with straw or hay or stubble, but let's build something with that, that which is costly. Did you know it costs something to follow God? It's costly. The false grace message is just infiltrated that it doesn't matter. It just everything comes. I'm telling you, God does, always does the heavy lifting, but he's looking for people who are pursuing with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what fire helps us with, the strength and energy of God. Finally, point number five, fire 
clarifies the call of God on your life. 2 Timothy 1. I've been studying 2 Timothy this week, and I've just been caught up in the glory of this little letter that Paul is writing to a young pastor. Maybe that's why I like it so much. And he's telling this young pastor, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. In other words, and he goes on that famous verse, does anyone know it? 1-7, for God did not give us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power, love, and a sound mind or self-discipline. And what Paul, the father in his faith, is telling him, he's saying, young man, God didn't, he doesn't ever lose sight of the call on your life. And this is a word for someone in this place. God has a call on your life that is irrevocable, Romans eleven twenty nine. God's calls and his gifts are irrevocable. He's a good father. And when he ascended on high in his son, he dispersed gifts and callings over all of humanity. How many know everyone has a calling? Every person has a calling. Whether you're young or old, you think, man, my calling, I'm, no, 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 you've got a call on your life. And what Paul is telling Timothy, he's saying, Timothy, you will not experience the fullness and you will not experience the fruitfulness or the fullness of your calling if the fire in your heart is dim. What is he saying? Is he saying, well, Timothy, you're about to lose your call? No, apparently Timothy's really getting his his booty handed to him. He's got some people that don't like him. He's got some older people who are looking down on him for his age. He's got adversity in Ephesus, which is one of the mega towns in the Roman Empire. Pagan, pagan influences. And he's telling this young pastor, dude, you're not about to lose your calling, but if you lose your fire, you're not going to live out in the full potential of the call of God on your life. If you don't fan it back into flame, and how do you fan it back into flame? The breath of God. How many know the fire can grow dim all too often? Are you tracking with Am I the only one where the fire in our hearts, the passion and the zeal and the, at the place of pursuit in our hearts, if it's not stewarded and if we don't constantly offer ourselves, Samuel, and we get up early and we get on our faces before the Lord, I'm here to tell you the fire by nature will grow dim, but if you will partner with the Lord, the fire can grow brighter and brighter and more pure and more radiant every single day. You choose by grace and in the power of the Spirit to follow the one who has fire in his eyes. Timothy, if you let that fire grow dim, dude, that prophetic word that we spoke over you, the, the faith that lived in Eunice, your grandma and your mama, man, it's in you. But man, if you, if you let the fire, buddy, you're not going to experience the fullness of the call. And I'm here to tell you, beloved, so many of us never tap into the fullness of our redemptive purposes because we think fire is just for the select few instead of the inner dynamic of every believer. It's your inheritance, son and daughter of God, to have a heart that burns and that that is one with God. If you are here today and you think, man, what are you talking about? I'm talking about fire. I'm talking about the God who is a consuming, jealous lover who wants to burn away the dross in your heart and in your life and who wants to be first. He wants to be your everything today. He wants to purify your heart today. You know, I was reading this morning in my devotions before my son forgot that it was fall back, so we ruined my quiet time, but I love him anyway. <laughs> and I got up early, stinker. He thought it was later, but it wasn't later. But I was reading the parable of the sower. It's in Luke chapter 8 or Matthew 13. I like Luke's version because of what he describes as the good soil. There's a soil that falls, there's a seed that falls. By the way, is not your word like a fire, Jeremiah writes. So I didn't even mean to do that little crossover, but it just happened. His word is a fire. Jeremiah talks about, I think, 29. I can find it later. It's there. Your word is like a fire in my bones. I'm weary of shutting it up. I'm weary, I'm weary of, I have to describe the thing that's burning in me. So the word, he tells the story, and some seed, that when the word goes out of the gospel, it falls on hard ground. And beloved, how many know that all over the world, the gospel's going out, and there's a lot of hard ground. In our country and in the nations of the earth, there's a deceiver who wants to keep the minds of unbelievers blinded, and he wants to keep those who are captive to sin 
because they're slaves to sin and therefore their owner and master is the enemy. The enemy wants to keep that the, the reality of the world. And there's also seed that, that falls on rocky ground. And man, this is relevant to persecuted church today. And this represents those who immediately receive the word, but when testing and persecution comes, it shrivels, it shrinks, it's gone. And here's where I think most of us can probably relate. And how come the fire goes out? This parable describes it to me. The other, the other, the other soil is the soil that has thorns, and they receive the word, and when it grows up, it does good for a time, but then the allure of wealth, the desire for other things begin to seep in. Am I talking to anybody today? Man, we're just being real. The desire and the allure for other things begin to seep in. And here's the word here. It doesn't just shrivel. It is choked. The life of God in those who receive it but then who have thorns that don't go all the way into the baptism of the fire of the Holy Spirit where he can get rid of the thorns and enable us to serve him with an undiluted, undivided heart, by the way, which is the promise of the new covenant. Read Ezekiel eleven nineteen, Read Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. Jeremiah, I'm just, there's a lot of promises about the new heart that God could give his people through Jesus. But I'm convinced that many of us at the place of fire is because there's so many thorns and they're just... So many thoughts, so many things we're stuffing our brains and our hearts and our lives with. And the Lord's saying, just let my fire consume that thing. So that you can be like those who the seed falls on good soil. And look what Luke says. This is stunning. This threefold promise of how to be one who stands to the end. With a noble and good heart who hear the word retain it, and by, per look at this word, everyone's favorite word and practice, persevering, produce a crop. You see that fourfold, boom, good, noble. They hear, they retain, they persevere. They're the ones who in the end, come hell or high water, are gonna have fruit unto the harvest at the end times, and they're gonna bring me glory. Are you tracking? Who wants to be that kind of person? And so I don't know where you're at today. I just know that God wants, he wants to give you the desire of your heart. And what, what my contention today would be is that if you allow the desires that you think are manifesting in your heart, the desire for success, the desire for beauty, the, the desire for, for wealth, the desire, if you, if you sit still long enough in a room with a journal and the word, the Lord will show you that these are symptoms of a greater inner dynamic reality that the Lord will reveal and show you that those things, you're just reaching for shadows when he's offered you the sun. You're reaching for things and you're, you're, we try to stuff our life with things that we think we can't live without. But the Lord Jesus would say, if you'll just come into the one whose face is radiant like the sun and the blessing that exudes from his presence and the joy and the pleasures that flow from his right hand, Psalm 16, if you'll allow me to become your desire, you'll discover really quick that I am enough, that I am enough. And then our brothers and sisters from around the world, the 200 plus million who currently would stand if they could, they would say, trust me, he's enough. You don't need all the stuff. You don't need the paraphernalia. You don't need the things, that the list that you go to God and say, Lord, all of this, and then we're good. But take one of these out, I'm gone. I'm here to tell you, Jesus is enough today. Jesus is enough. So how, Chatty, how do I have fire? Well, Every good and perfect gift, James 1.18, is from the Father, amen? amen? So everything that's good in the kingdom is gonna become by way of receiving from the one who wants to give it. So the Lord wants to give you fire in your heart. He wants to baptize you in his spirit today. He wants to purify your heart. He wants to illuminate his character and his person, his nature to you today, that he's not just some old man in the sky, but he's got fire in his eyes, passion for you and for his world and for his purposes. Amen. He wants to give you that fire, that cleansing, he wants to reveal his purposes to you. He wants to, like the word being fire, it's like a lamp. He wants to illuminate your next step, and he also wants to give you a vision that's worth going after your whole life, namely the glory of the Lord filling the earth. 
And today, he wants to give you fire in your calling. I'm not saying everyone's supposed to be a preacher. Far from it. But I'm saying that whatever your fill-in-the-blank is, he wants the fire of his love and presence to mobilize and energize and strengthen that thing that you're called to. Come on. That's, you can't do it alone. And he wants to be glorified in and through it. And so I just, man, if you just say, Chatty, I want, I want baptism today. Could you just stand with me? Just the fire of God in your heart and your life today. Man, I'm standing. I've been crying out all week for God to do a deeper work in me. And can you just lift your hands and surrender and just say, Lord, just begin to tell him today, just to baptize you in fire. Just begin to ask the Holy Spirit. He wants to come and he wants to give you the desire of your heart. <laughs> Jesus, come. Jesus, come. Jesus, come. The one who's got fire in his heart and his eyes, come and baptize your church in glory. Come and baptize your church in fire, Lord. Come, Lord, our arms, we're raising them up in surrender today, Lord. We want you to do a deep work in us. Just tell the Lord right now in your own words, just your desire to be consumed today. In your own words, you don't have to have fancy words, just tell them straight to his heart. And as the Holy Spirit reveals those thorny areas of, of your life, just begin to ask the Holy Spirit to bring cleansing in those thorns and those areas that are choking out the fire, that are muffling God's movement and activity in your life. Jesus. Blow in this place like a holy fire. Cleanse us, God. Empower us, Lord. Give us an unwavering, unflinching desire for you, Jesus. Give us such a passion. Come on, church, just begin to ask for a hunger. Hunger is a good thing, and so it comes from the Father. Just begin to ask the Lord for a zeal and a passion for his ways, for his word. He wants to give it to you today. And then he wants to empower you to pursue him with all that you have. He wants to do that today in some hearts and some lives, Lord. So pour out hunger on our church, Lord. At Cornerstone Church, would we be the hungriest people in the coast? Be the hungriest people in this valley. That everywhere we go, Lord, it's just fire of God. The holiness and zeal and love of God would burn on our hearts and would manifest through words that bring hope and healing. Words that are purified because of the inner dynamic of holy fire in our hearts, God. And so we just say, come, Lord Jesus. Have your way in us, we pray. Make us one as we gather around the throne of grace and mercy this morning. Lord, burn in us, we pray. Burn in us, we pray. Pour out your spirit from on high. Transform us from the inside out, God. We love and we bless your name. We want you to dwell in us and flow through us in a greater way, Father. So, Lord, for those of us in this place who are bored and are done trying in our own strength, Lord, pour out strength upon strength on your church today. Pour out fire, pour out strength, pour out glory on your sons and daughters in this room, God. We raise our voices and we say, come, Lord Jesus, have your way. Come, Spirit of God, have your way. Come, holy fire, burn away all that is not pleasing to you, Lord. We yield to you this morning. It is our desire to be a pure people who live in the fullness of our calling by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Lord, come, have your way, God. Have your way. Here's what we're gonna do. You can put your hands down unless you wanna keep them raised. God, it's okay with that. I just want a couple ushers to come and I'm, I'm throwing this on you. Come up here, Aaron. I don't want to pass the plates and then you stay by yourself. I want, we're going to worship for a little bit. And I want, to, I, want to, I want you to come forward if you're able physically. If you're not, we'll come to you. We're just going to hold the elements and we'll just figure it out. We're intelligent enough. We'll come through and just, you know, just be, watch for people. But I want to serve and we want to look at you in the eye and say the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. And I want you to participate up here. You can come in front of the altar. We're just going to come. Thank you so much, man. 
go ahead and spread out middle, sides. And as we sing, just come, just start coming by the rows. You can come. And I just want you to receive the, the Lord Jesus Christ. All week I've been praying this phrase. I don't know why, but then I figured out it's in the communion service. In Luke 22, when Jesus is about to go to the cross, he says these phrases. He says, with desire, say that with me, with desire, I have desired to share this meal with you. And you think, why does Jesus have to say, with desire, I've desired? Doesn't one desire cover it? And as I've been praying that all week, Lord, with desire, I desire to know you. With desire, I desire to follow you. With desire, I desire to be one with you. And the Lord Jesus, in Luke's account, he is so zealous for what he's about to introduce to the human race and to God's world through his sacrificial death on the cross. He so looked forward to breaking the bread which prophetically represented his body and sharing the cup that prophetically represented the blood he would soon spill because he knew what it would mean for the world. It would mean that every man, woman, boy, and girl would have access to a holy God who could be brand new through his grace, could be filled with his spirit and participate in his purposes on the earth. And he said, with desire, with desire, I have desired to share this meal with you. And so as you come, I pray in Jesus' name that the passion and zeal of God would fill your heart, that you would realize he didn't do that begrudgingly. He did it with a passionate heart, knowing what it would mean for you and me today in Santa Maria, California, what it would mean for our brothers and sisters around the globe, that every single man, woman, boy, and girl would have access to a holy God through the blood of Jesus Christ.